You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Alan Chews. He's the book critic for NPR's All Things Considered, a writer and a novelist. His latest novel published is To Catch the Lightning, and his newest book is a collection of travel essays titled A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Great pleasure, Rick. Alan, you've just finished your latest novel. Tell us how that feels. Well, uh, you know, the only way you can talk about it, I think, you get too pretentious, uh, so it's probably best left unspoken, except I will tell you a story. Um, I, I heard Annie Lamott give a talk at the old uh, Foothill Writers Workshop, maybe it was oh, 10 years ago, and uh, the auditorium was filled, it was noontime, and a lot of people had taken off from work to hear her, she had a lot of fans in, in, uh, in Los Altos Hills, and uh, in fact people came for miles around to hear this. She showed up about 10 minutes late in, I guess, what are her trademark uh, coveralls, and her hair in those uh, little uh, braids, and um, she rushes up on stage, absolutely breathless, and she says, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late, but I was up until five in the morning finishing my new book, and I stopped writing and got in the car and drove here. Um, So it makes you never want to talk about finishing a book after you hear that, but... (laughs) Uh, you know, after working on a project for years and years, uh, I guess it's like seeing one of your children getting married. You know, you feel uh, great relief, you feel great joy, you want to laugh, you want to cry, you do both at the same time. And then you think about the great expense, <laughs> in this case of, you know, years and years of, of uh, research and, and, and writing. So. Connection and separation, that's what marriage is. Yeah. Connected new family, new yeah. connection, yeah. but also separation as well. So this, so this book uh, goes to my editor tomorrow, and then it goes to the copy editor next Tuesday. And so we'll have galleys in, uh, around the beginning of October, and it'll come out next spring. And um, I don't plan to start another book for at least six months. Now... <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, can you give us a, a hint about where, where you're going with this novel? The This novel? Yeah, no, I can tell you about it now that it's done. I mean, I wouldn't dare make a peep about it while I was writing on it. I'm too, writing it, I'm too superstitious. No, this is, the novel, new, new book is called Song of Slaves in the Desert. The title comes from a John Greenleaf Whittier poem on that same subject. And it's about... Um, Jewish slaveholders in South Carolina and their African chattel um, begins in 1850, but it goes back in time really to a um, uh, prehistoric period. And it goes forward to uh, just before the beginning of the 20th century in San Francisco. Wow, well, that sounds like an enormous amount of research. You said, you, is this something you've been working on for longer than? the end of your previous novel? Yes, I've been working on this on this for a while, on and off, mostly on the last uh, two years, three years. So, um, two years, three years. You know, you, when you're working on a novel, you throw years around like there were minutes. Uh, <laughs> it just takes a lot of time. Um, 
So I'm hoping it's worth it. Do you feel kind of like a, a sense of, uh, I, I guess, continued impetus from the writing? Like it's still, it's not something you can just drop off, even though you send a, send the manuscript. I, I must guess that you must feel the story and all the stories and all the research, all the stories of writing the story mm-hmm. kind of still moving in you. Yeah, I had white hair this morning. I woke up with white hair and it was dark the, the day before. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it does move through you like that. That's a good way to put it. And you think about it all the time when you're working on it. And it, you just can't say, I'm not going to think about it anymore. Uh, you know, you're married to someone for 20 years and then you get divorced. You can't just say, I'm not going to think about her anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, 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 it is close to working, you know, no, a novel. Living with a novel is like a, a life experience, you know, with someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, except that someone else is constantly changing it's it's a protean uh a protean event in your life and the interesting thing and maybe the, you have to say the ironic thing is that you're the the one who keeps changing it as you write draft after draft after draft do you feel like you're you're building something up from nothing or chipping something down to what it should be Oh, that you're, the the latter image is is the sculptor's image, right? Mm-hmm. Michel, is it Michelangelo who said that? I don't carve the image; I carve away everything that is not the image. Right? Uh, no, God. I mean, I I wish I had that gift. I think it's a great gift to see everything whole from mm-hmm. the beginning. Uh, no, I write these things over and over and over and over again. My my Bible. With respect to revision, is the is the uh, the Mayan uh, Popol Vuh, you know, the story, the Mayan creation stories, mm-hmm. where you know the gods make uh, human beings out of paper, but they get burned in a fire. So they try again. They make them out of sticks, and they get burned in a fire. Then they try. I think the, the, what's the next creation? They try monkeys, but the monkeys shit all over the world. So they do away with the monkeys. Then they try jaguars, and the jaguars eat everything. Wait, wait, go back to the monkeys. I think they they stopped it really stopped at the monkeys. <laughs> no, they go on the jaguars and finally, I think it's the fifth creation they they get to human beings. Um and so it seems to me that's the novelist's bible, the Popo Vuh, because at least the most no, most of the novelists I know we just do things over and over and over again until we get it as right as we're going to get it. Well, we'll look forward to reading it and talking more about it uh, when it comes out. But we have uh, three very interesting books to talk about today. Uh, let's start with The Cookbook Collector by mm-hmm. Allegra Goodman, and because I wanted to kind of discuss with you something about reviewing. Mm-hmm. Sure. And this is uh, the people who are putting this book out are falling over themselves mm-hmm. to make sure that we know that this is Kind of like Jane Austen, like Jane Austen, Jane Austen, Jane Austen, like Jane Yeah, actually, Austen. in the review that I just uh, recorded for All Things Considered, I called it uh, R-rated Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, not Jane with zombies, not, uh, not Jane with, with vampires, but just Jane for our time. Jane for our time. Well, I think this is kind of an interesting uh, uh, take because it, it, to a certain extent, um, in a in a capsule review, in an audio review, like mm-hmm. the kind you do for um, NPR, I think we re- you really need to be concise. I know NPR seems like gives you like fifty words to <laughs> about two fifty, two hundred fifty. Yeah, that's sometimes two hundred. Boy, that's 
that's scary. I mean, you can barely get off the first paragraph of a decent book review. In <laughs> you know, the nicest thing anybody has ever said about those reviews was uh, uh, Robert Hass, you know, uh, remarked, uh, I guess when he, he was, when he was poet laureate and he was introducing me on stage for some event, he said, these reviews he does are like haiku. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's the nicest thing you can. Well, that's that's remar It's remarkable. Better right? than thumbnail. <laughs> Did I say that? No. Oh, no, good. But <laughs> now, um, w one of the things I think that is I think too common in reviews is to uh, compare to another author, and also for one thing, Jane Austen is Jane Austen. She lived a long time ago. She's dead. She's not a zombie. She's not coming back to life. This is Allegra Goodman. Yeah. Well, it's it's a variation. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, Austen's novels are a variation on Shakespearean comedy. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, we know a comedy by what happens at the end, which is people get married. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Austen is really working in that in the Shakespearean uh, tradition. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, people see the world as comedy or tragedy, I suppose, if you break them down into major food groups. And Austen writes comedies. Mm. Now, so, and Goodman is writing a comedy here. Uh, as well. And I think, well, one of the things I think that about this book, for me at least, was I would slot it in yet as yet another entry in the burgeoning genre of economic fiction. Mm -hmm. Where that's, and this goes with Adam uh, Hazlitt's uh, Union Pacific. Yes, Jonathan Dee's The Privileges, a very fine book. Yeah, yeah. That, it uh, also deals with a, a, a market pirate. Right. Um, books where. If you took out the economic aspect, you'd lose essentially almost all of the story. In, in the same yeah. way that if you took a, out of a science fiction novel, you took out the science fiction, mm -hmm. you would have no story. Well, you say, you know, it, it's economic, but it's also, I mean, in, you can put it in a broader context. There are very few novels that show you people at work, mm. and, and mm -hmm. she shows people at work. There are two sisters uh, in this novel. The main characters are two sisters, and one is the CEO of a, a very profitable, at first, startup in California, IT company, and the other works in an in a antique bookstore. And you both see them both at work, and I think it's really interesting to see characters at work. Mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a rare occurrence, actually. And, yeah, uh, so, true. So if that's the broader uh, context I would see this in. But yeah, the, certainly the, the, uh, the, the Silicon Valley stuff is fascinating. Uh, I think she, having worked in Silicon Valley, I can say she does get that right. It's mm -hmm. very spot on, mm -hmm. and that makes it uh, convincing and immersive. And I also like this kind of uh, instant history novel because it's really, in many ways, it's very much a historical novel mm -hmm. about a very different time that was not so long ago. Yeah, yeah. This is where we were on the verge of uh, the millennium here. Now. Uh, this this is a, a comedy and a, and a romantic comedy at that, mm -hmm. and, and I think she handles the humor pretty well. I think that she it's enjoyable, but there's not like a, it's not she doesn't go for a Carl Hyacin vibe, for example. Right. It's it, yes. The, it's not uh, it's not sharply satirical in the way that a writer like Hyacin works, but it it it. Uh, Charges attacks on human foibles, <laughs> you might say, uh, <laughs> but but it's it's really delightful in that you know she loves her characters. Mm -hmm. uh, 
in a way that, say, can I bring up the F word? Sure. In a way that, say, Jonathan Franzen does not. You know, I mean, Franzen is the kind of writer who, you know, never met an ordinary person he doesn't dislike. Uh, or, worse than that, if he likes them, he seems incapable of sh revealing that to the reader. But uh, Goodman sheds a kind of uh, humane uh, light on these people. She dispenses a kind of affection to her characters. And, and I think, uh, you know, I'm not saying we, you know, all we want is feel-good lit, you know. Oh, poor Iago, you know. <laughs> poor guy. He's depraved on account of he's deprived. But, you know, now and then we like to read a comedy, mm -hmm. uh, like The Cookbook Collector, that makes us, gives us some insight into our own lives and, and makes us see that uh, it's not all bad or some of it has been good and might be even better or at least as good in the future if we work hard enough. Mm -hmm. And I like, too, the, the look, her way of looking at the morality of business, mm -hmm. of dissecting that, mm -hmm. and, and how that, the impact that has on the, the personal lives of the characters. I thought that was really interesting as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, uh, th that's, uh, in, there's another interesting view on that in Jonathan Dee's novel, The Privileges, where uh, a, a rapacious, cutthroat uh, marketeer actually gets away with some really dirty financial dealings. I kept waiting for the, the shoe to drop and feds to rush into the novel and cart him off to prison. <laughs> it never happens. Uh, that sounds uh, like an incredibly realistic novel. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's go next to uh, the Sonderberg case by Ellie Weasel. Which mm -hmm. I, you had a great description of that. What did I say? I don't remember. And you said it was a fascinating uh, failure. Well, yeah, and, and in fact, just about every work of fiction that Wiesel has written after Night has been flawed, terribly flawed. He's not really a novelist. Uh, he's, uh, I don't know what you call him, a philosopher who r tries to write serious fiction. Um, and because he has that philosophical mind and he's had that, you know, he's been in the middle of that horrendous historical uh, event, uh, you know, lived in the concentration camps, uh, everything that he writes is interesting. It's tinged with that, that, that interesting material. And so, um, you know, I love to follow his narratives and his reasoning, even though it's not finally a very well-made novel. It, it may not even be a novel at all. It's kind of reminiscence by a, a theater critic of the time when he had to fill in uh, as a court reporter for this trial in New York about, uh, of a, a man who seems to have murdered his visiting German uncle. Um, and I want to give the plot away because about the only thing novelistic in it is the plot. The rest of it is rumination and uh, uh, the, you know, the exercise of his really interesting personality on, on uh, the material of Nazi Germany and its aftermath. Well, he has a, a very compelling voice. You know, this book reminded me of, there was a collection by Stanislaw Lem called The Perfect Vacuum. Mm -hmm. It's perfect reviews of non-existent books. Yeah. And some of the ideas of the books and, and the books he reviews in here are sound really fascinating. Mm -hmm. But he begins it with a review of the book itself. And in the review of the book itself, he says, this is a pretty interesting book, 
but it's like the author was just couldn't be bothered to write out the whole idea. Uh-huh. Yes, that's that, yes, that's a very good description of the and, of the so Wiesel. He he wrote it, and, and this book made me think, in some ways, of if a, a brilliant philosopher wrote mm-hmm. the, the Cliff Notes for a, a much longer novel, mm-hmm. or if a philosopher wrote. Uh, War and Peace, or Anna Karenina, instead of a novelist. <laughs> but it, you know, it's still, I say, it's really fascinating. I mean, this man is, is a, a singular individual who represents a, a large number of people who suffered some of the worst historical events in record, on record. So, uh, it's certainly worth reading. He encompasses a, a, a level of power of perception that is beyond almost what anything he writes seems that power at. Yes, in yes, he, yes. He almost annihilates his own subject. Yes, that's a good way is. to that's a good way to put it. It's it it. You read him, and you're allowed. I don't know if what you call it the privilege to suffer. The 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 emotional life of a survivor. Hmm. Uh, you know, most of us would not choose to to be in the situation that he survived. We would all choose to survive it. And we can participate in that uh, essence of survival when we read anything he writes. The third book we are, that you brought to me, and one of the great joys of this is that is your sense of selection, uh, is the, the Good Psychologist by first novel by a man named Noam Schmanzer. He himself is a psychologist. Yeah, he's a clinical psychologist. Uh, I think he's Israeli-born. Was uh, he brought up in a kibbutz, I think? Could be. But I think he teaches somewhere... In the U.S., uh, yeah, he's b- born and raised on a kibbutz, and he's a professor of psychology um, in uh, Ohio. Uh, this is a really superb novel, I think, in many and mm-hmm. very, very in- singular mm-hmm. and interesting. Yes, absolutely. This the the good psychologist is a man unnamed mm-hmm. who um, is is treating a number of people, but the main case that uh, comes up in the course of the novel is his uh, treatment of, a, of a, a nude dancer, naked dancer from a local strip club who uh, is suffering from, I guess you could say, uh, a lack of self-worth. <laughs> um, and she certainly tests his own self-worth. Um, he's also, because he, he's got a personal problem that runs through the novel also, which is he has fathered a child with a, another psychologist who lives six hours away in another city who really doesn't want him to have anything to do with the child. But he consults with her about cases over the telephone. I mean, she will allow him or afford him uh, that professional entry into her life. And then the third strand is uh, he, he lectures. Uh, he's giving a course in uh, how to be a good therapist in uh, at, at a local university. So you get... Uh, the essence of his lectures, um, which is really fascinating. I, uh, I gave the, a copy of the book to someone who's in therapy, and she said to me after she read it, she said, this really helped me to gain some insight into my, into my relationship with my therapist and my relationship with my problem, which I thought was interesting. I mean, that's one of the most amazing things anybody's ever said about a novel. This novel actually helped me to live in the world a little better than I have been living. Uh, it's kind of like you know what Ralph Ellison once said about Hemingway, how during the Depression, he and his brother learned to, to hunt and fish by reading Hemingway, and so they survived the Depression. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, so, th- so this strand, of, you know, where he's 
he lectures to his students and talks about the good psychologist does this, the good psychologist thinks that, uh, is, is also fascinating. So for a, a book that's only uh, a scant, uh, under 250 pages, there is a lot of meat here. And, and I, one of the things I like is that it's so hard-headedly itself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, it's it's pretty suspenseful, and in many ways you could say it's a novel of suspense, but it's also so filled with insight. It, it just seems to follow really his own muse, mm-hmm. and I think he does a great job at, at uh, creating this kind of uh, tension uh, between showing us the, you know, the these different strands from the different perspectives. The author is very subtle and talented in uh, keeping you reading uh, by using different perspectives. I hope, I hope that I never found out, find out that he wrote this in three months uh, because, you know, it's, as you say, it's very subtle and it's very well put together and it's, it's condensed, concise, and extremely interesting as well as uh, useful. If I find out that he wrote it in three months, I don't know. What, I'm going to put up my spurs. <laughs> well, what if you found out that he wrote it over 30 years? That's much better. <laughs> That's much better, but perhaps more likely. I've been speaking with Alan Shoes. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning. His new book of travel essays is titled A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Great pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.